Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Uh, fifth chapter of the book of Shemot, Exodus, initial encounter between Moshe and Aaron and Paro. What we talked about last time through Rashi was the question of where the Zikinim, the elders were. Originally, uh, God had commanded Moshe to bring the elders with him to Pharaoh. And we read this Midrash that suggested that they basically were afraid and they slinked away on the way to the palace, on the way to the Palatine. And that this was, um, that, they, that, 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 that sin of uh, fear was um, paid back to them or, or uh, they, had, they had to pay for it. Uh, and that they were not invited up onto the mountain later on after the giving of the Ten Commandments. It's interesting to note, we didn't talk about this last time, that uh, both in the text of the Torah um, and in the Midrash, there seems to be a lot of weight given to not having faith that God will take care of you, right? The the big sin of the Meraglim, of the, of the, of the scouts, is that they were awed by what they saw in the land of Israel, and they didn't have sufficient faith, according to the Torah, that God would be able to, to see them through it. And they were punished pretty severely, much more severely than the Zikini were punished here. They were not given the opportunity to enter the land of Israel. Right? So they, they, they died off before the wanderings completed. So it's an interesting sub-theme in, in, to, in the Torah's narrative and theology and rabbinic narrative theology. It's not inappropriate to recognize that circumstances are hard, but it might be theologically inappropriate for the rabbis to posit that God doesn't have the wherewithal to get you through what is hard, right? And those are two different stances on life. So um, we could both identify with the Zikinim saying, mm, I'm not sure we should be going in front of Pharaoh unbidden uh, to make this request. And we can understand the, the, the Midrash's thrust saying there are moments for you to have faith that, um, that God will, will, will lead you through the wilderness figuratively and literally. Uh, I believe that we um, read verse three, but didn't do um, didn't do the Rashi. So let me read verse three again to to get us moving, uh, and then we'll we'll call on someone to read the Rashi. Unless anyone has anything else, I know we already got to verse three last time, but anyone anything lingering on verse two? I want to add. Okay. They said Aaron and Moshe that the God of the Hebrews. And we discussed, we compared this to the, 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 the earlier in the Parsha where they, we are told what's going to happen in the scene where the Mikra is with a hey, which means kind of a, a circumstantial happenstance. And here it's a calling out. Rashi does not pay much attention to it, but it's an interesting comparison. Is this a scribal error? Is this intentional? That the God of the Hebrews what was called upon us, right? Appeared to us. We we compared several translations and how some translators read these two words, Nikra Elena, the same way, whether it's an olive or a hay, and some read it differently. Nelchana, let us go, please. We pray. Derach Shlosha Imim, a travel of three days, Bamidbar in the wilderness. We will offer sacrifices to Adonai our God. Pain Yifka Enu, lest God smite pogea us badever with pestilence over or with the sword right so uh where we got to last time 
was mentioning the oddity that Rashi is about to spend some time on saying, what's the penifka enu? Why is the, is the threat to Pharaoh or the, the stick for Pharaoh, hey, let us out, because if you don't, we're, we're going to be smitten. We, the messengers, are going to be smitten, particularly since we learned before the scene that God had said, you need to um, let Pharaoh know from the very beginning that his firstborn, right? That his firstborn is uh, vulnerable. So there's no, there seems to be no sense in advance that there's a reason to hold back from Pharaoh how much is at stake for his own well-being. And yet the suffix is not lest God smite you, but rather lest God smite us. So I think that's where we ended last week, kind of trying to think about what might be a pshatish understanding of that verb. And then we'll, we'll finish that and then see what Rashi has to say and see if there's an overlap. Rick? Um, hi. The uh, new could be all of us. Uh, don't hear you yet, Rick. Um, don't know but now why. I hear you. Sorry, that was, that was my uh, bad. I had my volume down. Go ahead. Okay. Hi. The new could be all of us, not just us Jews. It could be everybody in the place, everybody in Egypt, right? Aha. Uh-huh. So, you're saying... Including Pharaoh. In the, uh-huh. the, 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 the inclusive us, everyone present. On that, we could still ask a question, right? What, what, so let, let's say that's what it means, right? That it doesn't mean lest God smite us, the messengers, but rather lest God smite this whole land, including us. Why is that a better verb choice than peinivga'acha or peinivga'achem? And, and why are they even bringing that up? God didn't tell them to say that. God told them to say other things, and, and they're not doing what God said, so... Right. That's also, that's also the secondary question. Right. Well, God, if you go back to chapter four, verse twenty-three, right, when God predicts the scene, but to Ma'in Shalcho, He's going to refuse to send you, which Moshe, which Pharaoh already did in the previous verse. We said, "Who, who, who am I um, um, to listen to to this God?" Um, Here, behold, I'm going to slay your son, your firstborn. So there does seem to be an indication that they're supposed to threaten him. But, but even if we saw, even if we sharpen pain, to mean lest God smite us to lest God smite all of us, it doesn't seem to be nearly as sharp or direct as you're the ones who are vulnerable, not us, particularly since, I don't know, maybe Pharaoh doesn't have to know this, but I would, I would, I would assume it's hard, it's so hard to make an assumption within a story, but um how should I say this? We know later on that the plagues impact the Egyptians and not the Israelites, right? So the, the way the story is going to play out is that the Israelites are not vulnerable to God's wrath here. Only the Egyptians are. So why not, why not go right to it? So it's still, it, it's, it's a good read that Penif Ke'enu can mean not just the two of us, but all of us, but it's still Ze'omer Darsheni, still begging for an explanation. Anyone else want to offer one before we look at Rashi? Uh, okay. Um, Carol, do you want to read Pen Yifka Enu? A short little Rashi, but some interesting stuff there. Okay. Are you hearing me okay? Yes. All right. Pen Yifka Enu. Pen Yifka Echa. Hayu Tsrichim Lomar. Ella Shechelko Kavod Lamalchut. 
Okay. Um, let me see. Okay, so so last you, last last he strike you, um, it it should have said right, right to be more of a threat. Um, uh, but I don't get what this means. Something about his something about honoring his, his, the kingship or honoring his throne. Correct. I don't so want to, idiom, to, 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 to cholek kavod, which literally means be to split out or divide honor really means to bestow honor. Um, it, it reminds me of the two word phrase in yeshivish um, to be malamed schut on someone is to judge them favorably. So it literally means to, to teach merit upon them. But it's you know, if someone, if you can read someone positively or negatively and read them positively, like, ah, he's Melamed Schut on that person. So to be cholek kavod is to distribute, maybe that's a better word, distribute some of the kavod, the honor that you have to offer to that person. So you had the first part exactly right. Hey, reader, Rashi says, I know that you know that it should have said, pen yifka lest God come and smite you. So why does do motion Aaron choose lest God smite us, because they were distributing kavot to the kingdom. So what's, what's, what's the Rashi on the Rashi? What does that mean, Carol or anyone else? What, what's the, what's the impu, import of this? I mean, it sounds like they just didn't want to piss them off. Like they were just trying to, you know, this is their first encounter. They want to kind of be, be a little bit honorable to him initially. I think that's right. It's like, we're going to threaten you, but we're going to threaten you politely. You know that um, that scene in Parshat Chaye uh, Sarah with the back and forth between uh, Avraham and um, Ephron on the on the birth on, on purchasing the cave of Machpelah, and all of these politeness. If it pleases you, oh, but you're but I, your servant, would never do you know do this for you. It's like an overly polite shook encounter, as it were, where what's actually taking place is much more harsh and economics and, um, and severe than the polite language that's being used. And, you know, in some ways it's still part of a, a middle Eastern way of doing business, right. In the shook. Um, and uh, what Rashi and Chizkuni and others read into this is even in the moment where Moshe and Pharaoh are representing God to take down a tyrant, right. It's uh, you know, you want to you want to take it lightly. Um, one of one of the uh, one of the references that I have here is is in my mind is very um, very contemporary, and that is the fact that you know that Russia's emissaries are still probably spoken to rather politely at the UN. Right, Zelensky gave that tremendous speech yesterday, and uh, it's it, it, it's. It was, it was so, it's such, such a tragic situation, but so odd that he's, a, he's addressing the Security Council on which Russia sits permanently um, about Russia's atrocities. And while he spoke with, with um, you know, with, without a whole lot of um, over politeness and, um, and, and holding back, right, the language of the UN is probably the language of, of, of polite speech softer than the circumstances warrant. I, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. It feels like a bad thing today, although I guess that's how the world operates. But that's a version of what I see Rashi saying going on here, right? Ra- Moshe and Aaron are there representing the greatest force in the universe. 
but they're not going to bring down the fullness of the hammer, at least in the, in the language, right? They know that Pharaoh knows that what they mean is you're in trouble, but they're going to do it of, uh, you know, it, it could get rough around here, Pharaoh, for all of us, right? So it's a cousin to what Rick was saying, right? But it's a, it's a, it's a wider explanation that, that they're, they're, we all know, Pharaoh, there's a harsher way to say what we're going to say. We're not saying it that way. Wink, wink. Uh, and then anything else that for uh, Carol finished the Rashi? Okay. Ufkia. Um, uh, this, this use of Pigia, excuse me, is the language, um, uh, language of, of death. I'm not trying to understand what he's trying to say here. Right. So Rashi throws in another, an answer to a, to a different question in the same comment. So, so if we could um, recreate the question to which this is an answer, it might be, and why is this verb being used anyway? Right. Like to be, you know, to to be pogeia is to injure, to hurt, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's to, it's to be wounded. Right. You know, but what, but is, is that really what's going on here? Should, isn't the threat, more severe than that. So Rashi says this use of pigia is not the softer use of um, a low impact risk, but the language of death. And some of the super commentators uh, help give us some uh, other textual references to show um, how this is the case. Let me share one of them with you. So uh, language throughout the Tanakh can be learned from one another. So this is the first book of Kings, chapter two. Uh, the context is interesting, but not particularly significant for our um, circumstances. Starting to, with verse 30, Vayavo v'nayu el ohel adonai, benaya went to the tent of God, Vayomer elav, and he said to him, ko amar hamelech, this is what the king said, say, come out from where you've been hiding, Vayomer lo, he said, I know, kifo amut, I'm going to die here. Vayashev Benayu and Amelech, Benayah brought this back to the king. Davarli Mor saying, Kodi Ber Yoav Vacho Anani. This is how Yoav, the person who was hiding, responded. And this is and this is what he said. And now verse 31, Vayomer Lo Hamelech, this is what the king said. Asek Asher Diber, do just as he said, Ufagabo Ukvarto. So pogea him and bury him. Right, so the inference is that whatever's happening in the pogea verb is ending up in death, unless we want to think of this as a ghastly uh, burying alive. Right, so here is a is a a close association between a root which normally re- means something softer, but here is you go from pigia to the grave. Uh, the commentator said that's what Rashi meant in our verse. Right, sometimes pigia means something harsher than just a wound or a bumping up against. Okay, um, right, like. Uh, in the Yaakov story, right, that he bumped into th- that place. Pega can just be like a, a this, but sometimes it can be a this. Barry? Uh, so playing out this stage play here, uh, so these two slaves are coming to Pharaoh, and they're worried that they're going to get killed by their god uh, if they don't get to go. What, is, what does Pharaoh care about this? Right, and, and Pharaoh already said in this in the previous verse, who is this God and who are you, right? So we're, we're at the very beginning of this waltz. Interesting you re- referenced them as uh, these two slaves come to Pharaoh. I'm not sure if we're going to get to it today, but um, w- one, of the, one of the Rashis in the next verse 
is going to play with the question of what Moshe and Aaron's status actually is with respect to Pharaoh uh, and with respect to slavery itself. But whether they're slaves or not, they're not members of the royal court, and they came in unbidden without the golden scepter being, you know, uh, uh, extended to them to borrow a poor analogy. Why should why why should it bother Pharaoh whatsoever? Larry, Diane. So I just want us to point out the difference between um, Dever and Cherev, because, I mean, theologically, um, well, here in this sentence, they're put into the same category. If we're going to, we could be punished by pestilence, which we clearly understand as something coming from nature, mm. and sword, which we clearly understand as something coming from others. Whereas, I guess, in the biblical narrative, um, the sword against us is turned into um, God avenging or whatever. So, um, it, good. So, first of all, good to raise the question of why those two nouns are there. And is, is it a, a doubling of an image for pure emphasis or do they represent different things? Uh, I forgot to mention as we're going through the translation of the verse that Uncleus translates this very oddly because Dever and Cherev are very specific Hebrew words, right? Dever does mean pestilence. We're gonna we're gonna see it in just a few days, right? It's one it's one of the things we're gonna do this for. Um, and cherev is is a sword. So so you're reading it on the axis of one is representing calamity that comes through nature, and one is representing calamity that comes through the the uh, the might of a human being. Um, Uncleus denudes it of its of its specificity. If you look over at Uncleus, if you have it. I guess I should start getting Uncle S up on the screen so that everyone can look at it in case you're in case any of you are working from a text that doesn't have it. I didn't do that right before class today. Um, all right, so start with you know the beginning, the Amaru, and they said Elaha de Yehudae. Once again, we have this interesting the God of the Jews, that's an anachronism. Itkele Alana revealed God's self to us. Nezel, let us go. Ka'an Mahalach Tlata Yomin. We will go three days. Tlata is shalosh. Aramaic taf is a Hebrew shin in some cases. Bamibara into the desert. Unadbach kadam arnai. We will um, slaughter in front of God. Uh, also Aramaic Zion is a Hebrew. Aramaic dalad is Hebrew Zion. So nidbach is like zavach. Kadam arnai elahana. In front of God, our God. Dilma yi'arinana. Lest God you know, do bad things to us, bemota oviktol, either with death or with murder. It's a very interesting choice, which I, I guess I don't understand. And I, I didn't uh, look at the commentary to Uncle Uncle is here. Because however we, looking at the Hebrew, would distinguish between Dever or Chereb, it doesn't seem to be, um, it, 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 it doesn't seem to be representing generic ideas, but specific ideas. The only thing I can think of is that Mota, maybe it's, 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 it's connected to what you were saying. Danny. Mota is the death that comes from the environment. Whereas with Katol, murder is the, is the death that comes through a sword. But there are Aramaic words for pestilence and sword. So it's an interesting choice. Um, I'd be curious to know if anybody of the, of the translations translate this into English with words that other than pestilence or sword. Everett Fox does pestilence and sword. Uh, Larry, I saw your hand up for something else. Do you want to read us either of the translations you have? Sure, I'll tell you. The <clears throat> Kaplan has plague or sword. Plague or sword, okay. 
Alter has, next page, sorry, and three, um, pestilence or sword. Pestilence or sword. Um, I don't have my Itzchayim in front of me, so I don't have the JPS. If someone wants to read it with how the JPS translates it, I'd be curious to hear that. JPS um, is pestilence or sword. Zapperstein also is pestilence or sword. Right, which uh, plague or sword. Plague or sword. <laughs> which is what makes sense. So it's an unresolved question for me why Unkelis translates it that way. Larry, your hand was up for something else too? Yeah. I, and then, and then to over there. A different question. And I'm going to credit um, Ibn Ezra here, though I don't understand the entirety of the Ibn Ezra thing. He starts off by, by um, saying... Um, so he thinks that the that lest we the right Yifka'enu is only either Moses or Aaron or Moses Aaron and the um, and the um, and the Israelites. He then says Gam Ata Pharaoh It also includes you and all Egyptians. So. I'm not going to go into a long discourse on pronouns. We all know the problem in English about the the plural versus singular you, which we we lack the y'all. But we also lack, and I don't know if any language has, a distinction between us, just us, or us, all of us, including you. Uh And so this us could also be, according to Ibn Ezra, that God's going to smite all of us, everybody here, because we haven't done what it is that he that he required. Right, which I think is what Rick was kind of hinting at, right? That the enu means not that God is going to kill us and that we have failed in our mission to convince you, but God is going to bring un, unrelenting and undiscriminating catastrophe to all of us, right? So I pulled up the Ibn Ezra that you were quoting, including us, all of us together are going to be subject to God's wrath here. Yeah. Um, I think, um, in some ways, I think that the the Rick the Rick Larry Ebenezer approach is probably closer to Pshat than the Rashi approach because it just seems odd. Even though we explained it well before, it seems odd for this to be a moment of politeness. And maybe this is just that the that the, that the language that was used was a, it was a collective us that includes you, right? Um, but it, it it's definitely a verb that that jumps out and says. Gosh, there's got to be a reason why it was it was done this way. Uh, good, Tova, and then uh, oh, Renee's hand went down. I guess you c- contributed, and then Rick. Um, well, my initial point was exactly the point that Diane made, so I'll just add one more thing to that: that the use of cherev, a dever, as Diane I think said, is something that's visited on you as nature or the kind of punishment that God said whereas Harev is usually at the hands of other human beings. And it just ring, resonates for me in, in Pharaoh's later expressed concern, lest they rise against us. That mm. is, lest the people rise against us so that Harev has that notion of either attack by the Israelites against the Egyptians or just civil war where we're all fighting one another. Uh, and so it sort of foreshadows that a fear that Pharaoh is going to express. Great. And if you combine what you said, Tova, to what Diane um, said, I still not sure why Uncleus went that way, but I I suppose now his, his, his Mota and Kato are making more sense to me. 
and that mota mota is 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 your is your dying from something you didn't expect to die from right could be could be a dever and told that you were murdered and that's and that's what happens when you're when you're killed with a sword why he he turned it into a generic category i don't know um but at least those those, those the categories he turned them into make a little more sense so i appreciate both of your comments thank you um rick and then rebecca leonard um so I don't, i'm not sure if we brought it up yet but um of all the things that you could appeal to uh ramsey's about um uh, appealing to th- th- the danger of this group of people not worshiping their god right and then being punished well, he'll lose his slave labor force. Um, so he, he's not going to uh, uh, um, uh, be impressed by anything ethical, but if it hurts him in his pocket, if if he loses part of his labor force because they're not worshiping their God right, um, then that's a, 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 I think it's a subtle appeal um, to uh, his greed uh, um, of, of preserving his uh, wealth kind of thing. That's an interesting comment, Rick. Um, it's, it's basically reading and <laughs> reading this line as a as a double faint, a double prevarication, because they're not going out to sacrifice in order to come back, and they, the ones, the Israelites, not the ones that threat, who are threatened. But I, I hear you reading it as saying, "Hey, Pharaoh, let us out because all we want to do is sacrifice and then come back and continue to be your slaves, and if you don't let us." God's going to smite us, in which case you're not going to have us forget it. Forget about three days. You're not going to have us in perpetuity. So it's, it's a, it's an attack directly at, at Pharaoh's bank account, but through a double lie, right? Because neither of those things are part of the plan, but, but it's, that's an interesting way of weaving them together. Rebecca Leonard. Okay. So the, um, the word dever does indeed mean plague and pestilence, but if you look at the cognates in other Semitic languages, you get some interesting stuff. Okay. In both Ugaritic and Arabic, it cognates to a word meaning death, and in Akkadian, calamity. Wow. Um, so are you, is you, is the, are you positing that maybe Uncleus thought that this dever didn't mean pestilence, it just meant potentially death. Well, I mean, uh, that could explain how he's interpreting it as, what does he say, motu, whatever, so the, you know, as death over there, because he's familiar with the word in some other languages that mean death. Yeah. So uh, let's see what BDB says about this. You were looking at your, at the, not, not BDB, but your dictionary, uh, Leonard? Yeah, Klein. Yeah. So here at Deborah, we have pestilence. Um, but above it, there's, there's an Ar- Arabic cognate that, that means just, just perish or just pass away or death. So that's interesting. Yeah. I, I wonder if we, if we would play the same game with Cherev, uh, if, if, if Cherev ever means, um, something generic rather than specific. Let's see what BDB. I never even thought to look at that one second. Um, let's see, got it together. No, the cognates for Cherev all mean lance or sword or spear. Yeah. Although, right, lahachriv means to destroy, right? The Chorban, the Chorban Bayacheni is the destruction of the second temple, not necessarily by sword. Now, I think the reason why it means to destroy is because it comes from the root that that means Cherev. But 
but it's possible that there is a notion of chet reish bet that just means a destruction as opposed to a destruction by sword. Uh, let's see what the next, oops. Okay, good enough. Okay, great. Um, we come to, we're going to the next verse. Maybe we'll get to that one that I, I, I said before about the status of Moshe and Aaron qua slaves. Okay, uh, whom have we not heard from today? Um, Sue, do you want to read verse four? Yep. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. Vayomer, uh, we're verse four in the in the in the in the text, right? We're not correct. Vayomer lehem. Vayomer lehem, Melech Mitzrayim, Lama Moshe Aaron Tifra Tif Tafriu et Am. Okay, and and the king of Egypt said to them, Why are, are why Moses and Aaron good for any at um why are why are you separating? Why are you separating the people from what they from their work? Good. So Go, I'll just pause you right there. You're, you're translating well in context, even though that's not really how a Hebrew speaker uses the word lahafria in modern Hebrew, right? Lahafria means to bother. Atamafria right? is you're bothering right. me, right? Um, that's lahafria with a lamid. So, but. But mm-hmm. it seems to be that what, since, since the end of the phrase is from their work, what, what, what Pharaoh should be concerned with is why are you blanking the people from their work? It wouldn't be bothering them from the work. It would be the opposite. It would be getting in the way. So we'll look into the etymology there. But I think in context, that's probably a good translation. And then? Then, I think that, you know, go, go to your burden go to your regular suffering <laughs> go to your regular suffering tell me what you mean by that because 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 this is directed from aaron from god come no, from, from pharaoh, pharaoh, to, from moses pharaoh to moshe and aaron okay so what does it mean go to your regular suffering? i think it's go back to work i think is what are you doing why are you here even well, go back to work go right. back to to you know make the bricks what the heck are you up to here Right. And in the context of the Exodus story and the Haggadah, Sivlot, refer, Sivlot Mitzrayim refers to the sufferings of the Israelites in Egypt. We discussed that before because Sivlot Mitzrayim could mean two things, right? It could mean the sufferings of Egypt, meaning as if Egypt were suffering, but it doesn't. It means the sufferings that we experience in Egypt, right? That's what um, the root Samech Bet Lamed means to suffer. It also interestingly means to tolerate the modern Hebrew. It's really interesting how those two um, roots got connected because that's what tolerating is, right? Tolerating, you don't think of it as, but tolerating is enduring something which is extremely un- unpleasant. If it weren't unpleasant, you wouldn't have to tolerate it. But in modern Hebrew- Well, it's like, saying, it's like saying you're insufferable. <laughs> you're intolerable. That's very, exactly. Very thing. good. Very good. Uh, yeah, I never, I never conveyed that connection in English. <laughs> insufferable, intolerable. Good. Um, okay. 
let me just ask, I see some of the notes in the comments. Let me just ask all of you on, on, the, on the shot, what's your sense of tough for you? And going back to something that Barry said before, what's the simple or not simple way of understanding Pharaoh saying to Moses Aaron, go to your burdens, go to your sufferings. Uncleish translates it as go to your workings. Azilu lefalchan chon. Falchan in Aramaic can mean both worship and work, just like avodah in Hebrew can mean worship and work. It's clearly not going back to your worship. Go, go, go to your obligations. What, what do you think this means? Rick. Uh, hi. So um, I wanted to ask about the verb tafriyu because I see the fe and the resh and the ayin there just like faro. So let me just say verse one, we have paro. We have verse two, we have paro. Uh, then here in verse four, he's melech mitzrayim. He's not paro there. But then in verse five, we have paro again. And verse six, we have paro again. So the narrative deliberately chose to call him Melech Mitzrayim there to bring out why isn't he called Faro there? And here we have Tafriyu. I just think it's it's a fun play on the word, on, on the, the root, maybe. I don't know. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful pickup. And as we look at the Rashi in this, I'll, I'll show you another place in the Tanakh where the, the, the I think it's a linguistic playfulness. I think you're right. Um, with the Hebrew root, Pei Reish Ayin, and the word name slash paro, right? Um, and pei resh ayin, as we'll see, is a root that means lots of different things. It's an, it, it's, um, first of all, pei resh verbs are all in the same category. Lefaret, lefaresh, lefarek, lefarea. The, they, they all have to do with like breaking apart and, and distinguishing and separating. Uh, and even within that, pei resh ayin can mean lots of different things. And it also happens to be like, like, it's an interesting question as to whether or not the word paro, and I don't know this, maybe some of you do, is that is that a Hebrew word for an Egyptian king? Or is it the Torah's... Tovanos. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure Torah does, right? Let me just lay out the question. Or is it like an, an Egyptian word that we borrow, right? What, is, is it a Hebrew etymology or not? Tova, what do you, what do you know? It's, it's absolutely an Egyptian word. It comes from the Egyptian pear a'a, which means great house. Uh, it wasn't used to refer to the king of Egypt until the new kingdom, until the 18th dynasty. It's kind of like saying the white house announced, uh-huh. the per'aha, the great house announced. So it's great. absolutely an Egyptian word. Which makes then the intertextual playfulness of how paro gets rendered in Hebrew and then the, and the verb form para really interesting. Right. So uh, just to make sure everyone's really following what Rick is saying in the verses before and after verse four, the guy is referenced by the name Paro. In our verse, it's Melech Mitzrayim. But we have the par, the root of Paro, if it were a Hebrew root in the verse. Right. Good. Um, He's the great botherer. He's the great disturber. <laughs> yes. Right. So why should you disturb the people? Why, why should you Pharaoh the people from their work? Right is is a way we could we could almost um, uh, translate it with, with, with an intentional pun. R- uh, Renee, so Everett Fox says, "Would you let the people loose from their tasks?" It's not quite as harsh as the other. Oh, we lost you, Renee. 
we, we, we lost you halfway through your comment. He does send them back to their burdens. So it, was, I, it wasn't as harsh of a, to, say, to have them loose from their tasks. Right. So, so the let, when Everett Fox translates tough for you as let the people loose, he's trying to be really, really careful about what the root pay raise ayin actually means. And we'll go into that more in a second. And yes, he, he translates Sivlotechem to your burdens, but, but it's a translation that doesn't specify whether or not Everett Fox thinks those, that means go back to the slave, like the flesh pots of slavery or just your other obligations. Good. Um, Barry, and then Tova, and then Sue. Well, going back to the image that I had created, uh, suggested earlier. Um, so uh, Moshe and Aaron, uh, they're, they're not leaders. Uh, Moses, uh, Pharaoh doesn't recognize them as leaders of the Israelite people. And, and in fact, we just learned that the, the, the leaders didn't come. They were, they were afraid to come. Uh, so uh, Pharaoh's turning the back on them. But what, who, who are you two coming here? You, 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 what you, why are you distracting um, that's the, the translation I have. Why are you distracting your, 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 the people from what they're supposed to be doing? Uh, so uh, he, he, he knows that Moshe and Aaron don't have the say-so, the support of, of the people. He's throwing them back to the, under the table, under the bus. Basically. Yeah. So distracting is a, is a good um, attempt. Uh, Uncleus translates as tevatlun levatel, Right. Why are you getting in the way? Why are you canceling them from their work? It's all we, we know what Pharaoh means. We're we're trying to figure out why that verb is being used, but we're, we have a, we have a basic sense of what's going on. Fundamentally, he's not recognizing motion. Aaron has representing anybody. So get out of here. Yes, good. And I like what Larry and Diane just wrote. Uh, motion Aaron are pharaohing the people, right? He they're 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 they're, they're t- trying to take away the very pharaonic power that pharaoh has and the the choice of verb is leading us in that direction good uh tova um my hand was actually up from last time but but i do have a comment oh good um yes um i what strikes me in the phrase of well i have the translation of go yeed unto your burdens is that it's a put down of Moses and Aaron. It's reducing them to the same level as these slaves that they're speaking on the behalf of all the more pointed. If we read into it, the narrative of the story of Moses once having been part of the great house of the house of Pharaoh. Uh, So it's, it's reducing their status. And I know I'm looking ahead to the next verse. I think it may hint a little bit at this underlying uneasiness that if you distract them from their burdens, what might they start thinking about doing? If you distract slaves from what you have put on them, what will they choose to do? Yeah, great. Um, I, I, I love that comment that it's Pharaoh not only not um, agreeing to the request, but putting these two diplomats back Back, back way down, way down, yeah. right? Um, and the last thing an enslaver wants to do, and my my head is all in this since coming back from the South and some of the books I've been reading, the last thing an enslaver wants to do is to give any any rope, <laughs> any, 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 any extra, you know, you want it to be as, that coffle to be as taut and as tight as possible because uh, that's how you wield ultimate control and frankly increase your bottom line. It's pretty brutal. Um, so yeah, not only am I not, freeing those slaves, but 
uh, guards sees them, right? We, we could read as Pharaoh saying of the person who grew up in his home, guards sees them. It's not the only way to read it. Rashi specifically does not read it that way, but that's what, that, that you can't not consider that given the word Sue, and then we'll look at Rashi. Um, well, I was just thinking, I mean, I, I know Pharaoh's Teresh Ayin, but um, when we have Pharaoh and Tafriyu and all that, I was thinking about Tiferet, and it's, although it's with an Aleph, it's, it's, it feels kind of like, you know, Pharaoh taking that, that word, taking that, the power of Tiferet. And... Yeah, I think it's going to, you're right that it's going to, it's, it's, it's evocative on an auditory level, but not etymologically, because this right. is pay rate. It's not only that it's Aleph versus Ayin, it's a different place in the root. It's pay resh ayin versus pay aleph resh. Um, but it's, this is an oral tradition. So sometimes the, right. the sounds were, were, were interesting and evocative, even if it wasn't a uh, linguistic connection. Particularly since I don't, like, we are thinking of the etymology of words much more than our ancestors were, right? They, were, they weren't, like, in the same way that we use English and we make unconscious associations without necessarily thinking through what, what the, how the words are connected. So the people who were learning this material and receiving this material back then, their connections were more, I would think, instant and, uh, and auditory than going deep into a, a dictionary to find out if the words had cognates with each other. Um, Sue, why don't you, uh, you were the one reading the verse, right? So you want to try the Rashi? Sure. Um, uh, that section Tavdilu v'tachiku otam mimlachtam, mimlachtam, ששומים לכם וסבורים לנוח מין אמלחה. Okay, period. So the first Rashi. I don't see a period. I, well, I'm, I'm telling you. I, That's okay, you, thank you. <laughs> Stop there. <laughs> so, I, was, I was looking for punctuation, believe me. <laughs> the first thing Rashi does is is tell us where he weighs in on what the verb means. So so he means he thinks it means separate them, separate, separate right? them and 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 remove them and add the distance between their work and them. Good. So he's basically saying to Everett Fox a thousand years later, I know that para peirish ayin can also mean like a let loose, a letting go, a wildness. That's not what it means here, right? Everett Fox says. Um, let the people loose from their tasks. This is more of just distance, right? Not a, not a, not a release, but a distance. Tavdilu, right? Havdala and Tarchilu. And Shehem Shemim Lechem, what does that mean? And they'll, uh, because if they listen to you, they're going to want to take a nap. Yeah. Like the, um, Pharaoh imputes to Moses and Aaron uh, authority or a certain amount of weight to the Israelites, they're going to listen to you. They're, they're, they're going to, they're going to prefer, believe it or not, they're going to prefer resting than doing my work. Right. So why are you doing anything? Three days. Like we can even read this as Pharaoh um, accepting that the only thing that they're being asked to do is to go out for three days and come back. And Pharaoh's answer is why would I, why are you doing anything to separate from their work? Because once they're separated from it, they're going to choose that. Right. Or as Joel says, they're going to unionize. Right. Okay, 
So I'm going to uh, share some screens. We're going to look at some of these verses that Rashi is going to bring us to. So we're in Mishle, these short little witticisms. Uh, you know, this is wisdom literature, um, little ideas to live by. But Orach Rishaim Al Tavo, do not go in the Orach, the way of the wicked. This is one verse ahead. The Al Ta'asher Bederach Raim. Interesting use of the root Asher here. Don't, because the only thing about Asher is to, is to be content, right? Ashrei Yoshevetecha. But I think it means something different here. Do not follow or go in the pathway of the wicked. Pira'ehu Al Ta'avorbo, right? Distance yourself from it, right? Stay away from it, right? Get, uh, it's translated here as avoid it because it, the pra'ehu is written as, a, as if the word has a direct object. Avoid it. Don't go through it. Shete, sorry, sete, like sota, the, the woman who strays. Stray from it, may I love, but avor, and let it go by. So Rashi brings this verse and he says, what does pra'ehu alta avorbo mean? He puts in one Hebrew word. Rachakehu. Rachakehu. Right? So here, reader, is one example of para, meaning to distance. Vechain. Vechain. Proverbs 1, verse 25. Um, so, like that. Um, so, look at the ver- look at the my, Separate all my... You know, it's, oh. So, this is from uh, earlier on the book of Proverbs. Um, here it's spurned because again it, it's 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 translated. I don't. I think this is a JPS translation. Yeah, JPS nineteen eighty five, and it, and spurn allows the second half of the phrase to be a direct object. But but means you you stayed away from you distance yourself from the very thing I um, I, I counsel you. The my rebuke, my my constructive critique. Lo aviten, you didn't pay attention to, right? So he gives us two places here where para does not mean the other main thing that para might mean, which is a, a letting loose, which is what, um, however, Fox translates it. And then he has one more. Go ahead. Kifaruahu. Okay, what is this scene? This is the golden calf. This is a really interesting scene. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting scene in macro, but it's a really interesting scene in micro, and we'll we'll go slowly when we get there. You know, eight years from now. So um, uh, this is Aaron explaining to Moshe. So it's interesting that the proof text here is the next time when Aaron and Moshe are going to be most divided. Here they're most united, right? They're united in a message to Pharaoh, and Rashi brings us a proof text. A because the etymol, the language works, but it's also interesting to a, a scene in which Aaron is doing the opposite of what God wants him to do. I said to them, who's got gold? Take it off. They gave it to me. I put it in the fire and 
look at that. I didn't, I wasn't intending to do it. The calf came out, right? This is, um, this is uh, Pharaoh's version, uh, Aaron's version of the cat ate my, my homework. I, I, I didn't do anything. All I do is throw gold into the fire. Out came a calf. Look at this verse. Vayar Moshe, Moses saw, et on the people. Kifaruahu, they were out of control, wild. This is the use of, of Peresh Ayin that I think Ever Fox is translating. It's interesting that Rashi is using this as a proof text. I don't think it's a great proof text for the use of the root para, which means distance. And then I love these three Hebrew words, kifira'o aharon, which means grammatically, Aaron parad it, the nation. Aaron let them go. But what does it also say? Aaron became Pharaoh. It's just a great three Hebrew words, right? Particularly as Tova reminds us that the word Pharaoh may not be Hebrew, but you cannot read, particularly in a text without vowels, ki Aharon, and not think simultaneously that Aaron is paraing the nation by letting them out of control, and that Aaron has become the very person uh, from whom Aaron helped uh, release the Israelites. Um, they, 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 be, they became out of control. They were, they were a menace to anyone who, who rose up against them. Okay. So Rashi quotes this um, and let's just, we'll just, we'll uh, just finish the Rashi has two more words. I, this is, I think Rashi would have been stronger to not quote this because I don't think this use of para is means distancing, but Rashi goes anyway. What did Rashi say? Right, that they that, that get that, away from that. Yeah, that the nation the nation was near Chak. They were distant and nitav like vile. They had they had maybe distanced themselves from the right way. Okay, uh, Tova, and then I'll share with you um, another dictionary ent- entry for this root. Uh, just to build on this this seeming um, chiming of Pharaoh and the and the verb uh, in Egyptian. I was just checking the spelling because Egyptian was a Hamitic language, a cousin of Semitic. So they, they are related. And the actual spelling of Pero is it's pay resh basically. And then ayin. Mm. It is an ayin, the equivalent of the ayin in the Egyptian alphabet that's being used. So they, they are very closely related. And that would no doubt have resonated way back. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, that's, a, that's a really interesting. Um, let me share with you the BDB. So again, this is biblical Hebrew, not rabbinic Hebrew. On pei resh ayin. So uh, first of all, it means um, long hair um, and, and hair that's been basically allowed to let go. Para, to let go, to let alone, to unbind one hair, to uncover one's hair. Um, and in the Hefiel tafriu, so he we have the we have the exact jackpot right. This is BDB quoting a verse to cause to refrain, which I think is similar to how Rashi wants to read this verse and not how um, uh, Everett Fox does. That it's a hefiel, it's a causative of para, and para means distance. So to 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 distance someone something from or to stop something from. It also means to shoo lack of restraint. Uh, um, and then of course uh, yeah exactly what 
Tova saying, Egyptian paro, great house of royal court. But different entries because BDB knows that it's, 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 a, it's a borrowed word from another language um, that just ends up having a play in, in the Hebrew root. Okay. Okay. Um, comments, questions, uh, before we look at the Lechul L'Siv Lotechem. Barry. It just uh, rang back to me. Uh, one of the phrases you had read to previously was uh, discipline. Uh, this is the opposite of discipline. We, we, the, loss, the loss of that discipline that we should hold to. Very good. Right. Um, and, and, that, and that that goes closer to Everett Fox's translation, a, a letting loose, which I think is what paro means in the golden calf scene, which is why I think it's strange that Rashi uses a proof text, right? A, a, a undoing of the very control that I... Pharaoh have worked so hard to put in place, right? And slavers work very hard to keep their slaves in place, right? So the last thing they want is for that to be um, let loose in any way. Good. Okay, uh, we won't have time to finish this, but let's start the lechul l'sivlotechem, and you'll and we maybe we'll get far enough to see what what I was referring to before in terms of how Rashi understands what they are being sent to. Sue, you're still up. I'm up. It's long. Okay, lechul uh, l'sivlotechem. no. Well, it's, uh, it's part it's of this. Yotzim part of it. Uvaim. Okay. Woo. Two more words. Yotzim uvaim. Yotzim. Oh, there's more after that. Yotzim uvaim. Ha hein rabim atem. No, that's the end. Oh, so I, have two, I have two more words. I'm not, I'm not looking at the Torah Chaim one. Yours ends at Yotzim At uvaim. So my version of Rosh that I have to be looking at right now is Yotzim uvaim shalo birashut. Oh, Okay. So, oh, uh, you know what I have? I have a sheen chuptic race. So I didn't know what that meant. I left it out. (laughs) It's what does it mean? Um, I'm looking. I'm looking at it. Um, No, are you reading? Are you reading from from this one? No, I'm reading from a different. I'm reading from. uh, No. Got it. My silverman has a shin and a chip chip and a race. Yeah. Mean? Maybe it means shalom reshut. Maybe it's an acronym for. I don't know why that would be acronymized, but what what does yours say? Yours yours is shalom reshut. Shalom the reshut. And what does that mean? Not per, without um, without permission. Shalom yeah. without uh, permission. So uh, it, translate. It, it means it means shmot rabba. That's what it's just quoting the source. Oh uh, right, right, of course, of course, of course. Thank you for that. All right, Sue. Okay, I got to go back. Go back to go back to your work that you have to do in your house, in your homes, in your houses. Right. So he's he's weighing in. Um, he's sending them home. Right, but not, but intentionally rushing. Not go back to your enslavement. Go back to your regular household duties. Okay. But the work of the um, the work 
your Egyptian work, the, the not just work, Shia boot is enslavement. It's built from the word okay. Hebed, but the Hebed, work okay. of the enslavement of Egypt. It wasn't for the tribe of Levi. Rashi is going to make the claim that that all of the Israelites were enslaved by Egypt, except for the tribe of Levi, and Moshe and Aaron are both Levites. And how do we know this? You should know, that because, because Aaron and Moshe can come and go. Without permission, right? So right. Shmot Rabbah, um, learns from this in a, in, a, in a longer midrashic text that uh, apparently the enslavement of the Israelites was not comprehensive and not just that Moses and Aaron were allowed in because they were diplomats, but they were from a tribe that somehow escaped slavery, right? This is not shot in the Torah, but it's a midrashic thrust. Um, we don't see that at all really in the Haggadah. There's no sense that the only people exactly. who needed to be redeemed were, were the tribes other than Levi. But, you know, it is interesting in this scene that Moshe and Aaron go in and out. They don't have to request permission. Uh, and so, therefore, Rashi reads it when, you're, when, he's, when Pharaoh says, go back to your sivlot, it means go back to your, you know, washing your dishes and, and tending to your tomato gardens. You're not my slaves. Larry Diane, with this, we'll finish, and then, we'll, and then I have a quick uh, logistical announcement. Uh, two, two, two quick things. I'm, I'm perplexed. Just in terms of the, um, the the text, because like you're looking at the Torah Chaim, which has Shalob Rashut, but that doesn't appear in the Safari version of that. And then there is the footnote where in the Torah Chaim, which says it's from um, Shemot Rabbah. And I'm just wondering, is it possible this is a misunderstanding that the Shin um, Resh was meant to be Shemot Rabbah? And it was interpreted as being Shavob um, Rashut or something like that. You know, it's interesting because even I made that mistake before Leonard properly corrected me because I was trying to make sense of the Shin Reish that I didn't see. I thought may- maybe it's connected to that. And, you know, we, we do have that in our tradition, right? That, that's the Magdil Migdol on Birkat Mazar and Shabbat. The, the reason why that seems unlikely to me yes, is because that you. seems to be something that would have been picked up by the editors of the Torah Chaim. Like they, it would have been a bitfus rishon leita. It's not in the first printing. Like the, the, the scholars of the Rashi text would have pointed it out, but maybe they missed one. I don't know. It, it's possible. And I'm sure that we'll have to pick this up next time. I just, I'm, uh, I'm struck by all the richness of the, the 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 root saval or sovel savlanut lisbol and sovelit can, can be tolerance it can be burdens or oppressions it can be all it, it, all these different things that it can be yeah and I'm appreciative to what Sue said before that in English we do have that connection when like to suffer and tolerate seem like different words but insufferable and intolerable seem synonymous. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.